Hello and welcome to another episode of the Retro Rankings Podcast brought to you by Potation Rotation. I am your host, Paul. This podcast serves as a platform to rank the top seven best or worst of anything video game related retro to now, according to me. Being that these lists are of my opinion, of course, leaves things open for debate. And if you wish to do so, please visit us on social media or email us at potationrotation at gmail.com and all about that stuff. And let me tell you something. Today, I'm a little bit of a rush and it's all my fault because I actually procrastinated getting this done. So actually left work a little early, uh, hit up the gym because now I'm going to the gym in the afternoons and not the mornings. Got home, walked the dog, and I haven't eaten or showered. I'm getting this in. It wasn't going to be a good excuse to take an episode off just because I don't have time. But here I am making the time for this episode. And going to skip most of the pleasantries. I will tell you, though, however, as far as what I'm up to, I've been doing a lot of retro gaming lately. Uh, And it's because I'm really trying to cut down on all the games that I would like to buy and play. Like, I probably should be playing Dying Light 2. I probably should be playing the New Horizon Dawn. However, I've, I've tried so hard, and it's been working, to just find some other games to play that I already have, that I haven't played. So, decided to fire up my PS2 and uh, play some Castlevania on the PS2, and um, that's that's what I was doing. But Elden Ring, Elden Ring comes out this Friday. That is a different story, folks. I actually have the day off at work. I plan on getting up bright and early, getting to the gym, taking a shower, and then heading out to Best Buy to pick up my special edition. Elden Ring, I'm going to come back. I'm going to stream that then on Twitch, oh, probably for a few hours, I think, and then that video as well will end up on YouTube. Lacerta Gaming on YouTube as well. So it's finally happening, Elden Ring. And I don't ever take days off for video games. Maybe uh, Legend of Zelda, maybe Mario or something. Maybe, maybe Elden Ring taking the day off. But anyway, so what are we here to discuss today? Let's get this done. It is the top seven hardest NES games according to me. So, I mean, you can say that they're the hardest. Maybe not so much the suckiest. Some of them, yeah. It depends upon the level of fairness in each of these games. If it's a fair difficulty level then, you know, it's not a sucky game. But be ready, because some of these uh, are full of tirades. I prob- I'm, pr- I'm probably pretty sure that I'm going to be swearing more often in this episode than I ever have before. And anything combined in the history of me being on this podcast or any other podcast, YouTube doesn't YouTube doesn't count. I've been doing that way longer. So there's probably more, more F-bombs and S-bombs and all that shit there. But uh, just be prepared... Um, hide your kids and, and maybe, maybe your wives. Is that, isn't that, wasn't that a thing? Hide your kids, hide your wives, something like that. Uh, <laughs> you might want to put them in a, in a safe place, uh, because this could get pretty, pretty nasty. And 
you know, a good portion of these games I've already spoken about. That's the thing, too. So, uh, you know, I don't want to beat a dead horse. I don't want to waste anybody's time. I'm going to invoke something called the cheat code in this episode. I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the games I already talked about, but not at great detail. I'm going to invoke a cheat code for some of them and point you in a different direction to get further information. But let's kick this thing off. Seven. Mega Man. Mega Man, known as Rockman in Japan, was the very first Mega Man game. It was released in Japan and North America in December 1987, with a much-delayed release in the UK and Europe in 89 and 1990, respectively. So, who's Mega Man? You know what? Uh, I'm going to input my cheat code here with this one. I'm going to tell you that I've spoken about this game at length before on this very podcast, or for a more detailed two-way discussion about this game with myself and Keith, may I point you to episode 12 of the Main Quest podcast. Go there now. I will wait 100 minutes for your return. And for the rest of you, please enjoy 100 minutes of the finest music in game show history. I wasn't really going to play that on a loop for 100 minutes. But anyway, one can argue. But Paul, aren't all the Mega Man games hard? Well, uh, the first one is on my list. And why is because, well, I'm going to give you the answer. Do you already know what the next six are in this list? I mean, <laughs> what if two through six in this list today make up five of those six? I mean... They don't, <laughs> so you have a valid question. But sure, all the entries in the Mega Man series could be considered difficult, but this one ushered in a new era of difficulty in NES gaming at the time, and it remains the top seeded in the franchise for one reason. It doesn't give a fuck. Uh, it, <laughs> it does contain tricky platforming, tough bosses, respawning enemies if you don't watch your step, uh, fuck all disappearing and reappearing platforms, but in all that, you get nothing in return to aid you. No energy tanks, no passwords, and uh, the controls, they're unrefined. Uh, and they're, they're only made better uh, in the later entries. 
as with everything else I mentioned, uh, but still, fuck Mega Man 3 as well. Uh, however, it's kind of where it is because I did beat this game eventually as an adult. <laughs> so I can't say it's the hardest NES game, that's for sure. Uh, but it is definitely the most uh, fuck you hardest Mega Man game on the NES. That's why Mega Man is number seven on my list today. Six. Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. I've already spoken about this game as well on this podcast, but I can't keep evoking cheat codes with every single entry here and this is really supposed to be an episodic podcast anyway like you really shouldn't have to listen to past episodes <sighs> so i'm just gonna i'm just gonna go with it just here we go again i'll try to change it up a little bit for you diehard rrp fans out there so that it's it's somewhat something that you haven't heard before uh michael gerard tyson or as we all know him better as Malik Abdul-Aziz, made his video game debut in Mike Tyson's Punch-Out! on the NES in North America in October 1987, Japan in November 1987, and in Europe of December that same year. A Mike Tyson-less version would also be released for the system three years later, due to Nintendo's license with Tyson running out, hence the reissue with the Mr. Dream character in his place. So, what do you got to do in this game? Well, you play as a character named Little Mac, who must make his way through a gallery of sometimes pretty ridiculous boxing opponents, with each getting progressively harder as Little Mac makes his way up the ranks of three main circuits. Little Mac has a limited repertoire compared to most of his opponents, and his punches are limited to left and right jabs, left and right body blows, and a powerful uppercut. The uppercut can only be used once the player earns a star, which is typically accomplished by counterpunching the opponent directly before or after certain attacks are launched. The player can acquire up to three stars. To perform the uppercut, the player needs to press the star button once a star is earned. To defend, Mac can dodge left or right, duck, and block punches by putting up his guard. Little Mac also has a heart counter, which decreases upon being hit, blocking a punch, or throwing a punch that the opponent dodges or blocks. When the counter decreases to zero, Little Mac temporarily turns different shades of pink and appears tired and or exhausted, depending upon which term you like to use in your daily vocabulary. And that leaves the player unable to attack, but still able to dodge, duck, and block. At this point, Mac can regain some hearts, and his normal color palette for that matter, only by avoiding the opponent's punches. He immediately loses all his hearts upon being knocked down, but can regain some by getting back up. About can end by knockout, KO, if a fighter is unable to get up within 10 seconds after being knocked down. Or by technical knockout, TKO, if a fighter is knocked down three times in one round, or by decision if the bout lasts three full rounds without a clear winner. In order to win by decision, the player must accumulate higher than a certain point total by punching the opponent and or knocking him down. The needed total varies from one boxer to the next. However, some bouts cannot be won in this manner and will automatically result in a loss for the player if the opponent is not knocked out. Mac 
can only get up three times during any one bout, as I said, or two times if he's fighting Mr. Sandman or Super Macho Man. If he is knocked down again, he will be unable to rise and thus lose by knockout. When Mac loses his first bout to a ranked opponent, he will have a chance to fight a rematch. However, if he loses a title bout, he will fall in the rankings. One place for the minor or major circuits, and two places for the world circuit. Losing a rematch causes him to fall one place, unless he is already at the bottom of his circuit, forcing him to fight his way back up. A third loss, not necessarily consecutive, however, uh, or a loss in a dream fight, ends the game. Each of the characters Mac faces have movesets and patterns to learn and memorize in order to defeat them effectively. Some of these characters include Glass Joe, Don Flamenco, Bald Bull, and Mr. Sandman. And don't you think um, that Piston Honda looks looks a little like, like Tyson? Or Mr. Dream, for that matter, uh, looks like both of them as, as well? That's things that, things that make you go, hmm. Whoa, this is heavy. So... What makes this game one of the hardest NES titles? Well, once you realize you have to learn movesets and timing to progress, the, the curve taking on the increasing levels of difficulty really are on the player. And that that's not what makes this game hard. Unless you are mechanically bad at using a basic NES controller and have a shit memory. However, this makes the game pacing suck, since there is such a learning curve. And once you've risen to the top and are about to face Tyson... You know, you would think to yourself, you know, I'm, I'm fucking prepared. I've I've become the perfect punch-out player. I know what I'm doing. Bring it on! Fuck no, you're fucked. <laughs> the Tyson fight is the most unforgiving LOL in retro gaming history. If you thought the game was fair with the curve it presented previously, you can throw that thinking straight out the fucking window. There is no learning jack shit the first go-around with Tyson. He will take you down. And uh, I, I will tell you, as I've said before, a little bit of a hint on, on Tyson and, and what he does. So for the first 90 seconds about the, of the bout, Tyson will throw nothing but one hit knockdown uppercuts. And if he connects, Max gets an instant ticket to the canvas. That's it, plain and simple. The player can block the move while they have full health, but they will still take a large amount of damage. So blocking is not really practical here. In the second round, these uppercuts no longer drain all Little Mac's health. Not to be overlooked is Tyson's unpredictable timing of his blows, making those knockdown uppercuts hard to negotiate. Afterwards, he will throw more manageable blows that do less damage. Uh, Little Mac can also get a start by simply slamming Tyson with a head punch when Tyson blinks both his eyes to notate that he's doing an amalgam of Piston Honda's Piston Rush. Hmm... The main concern for Little Mac will be Tyson's lightning jabs, which can't come out quick and can hurt Mac without the player knowing it. They seemingly just come out of nowhere. There doesn't seem to be a pattern that I've ever been able to figure out. Um, it's this one single fight that makes this game feel like you got all the way here for nothing because you more often than not will decide to give up and not finish the game proper. <laughs> uh, did I ever finish the game proper? Fuck no. I have cheats to thank for my beating this game. I mean, so simply doing the math here, this, this fight alone, coupled with having to use cheats to defeat Tyson, lands an uppercut on the number six spot for this game today. Five. Fester's Quest.
I'm going to be brutally honest right off the top of this one here. One of the things about today's episode is that it kind of gave me a pass on actually finishing any of the games that I played. The only game that I ever finished playing legitimately before playing about 15 titles to make this list was Mega Man. That's it. One out of 15, legitimately, without cheats. Mega Man. <sighs> so, there's that. And there was no way in hell I wasn't giving it anything more than the good old college try if I were to become frustrated. <laughs> I I haven't played Fester's Quest since Rage quitting it 33 years ago when I rented it. And fuck have I finished it when I replayed it for this episode. <laughs> so, unless otherwise noted... Uh, you can consider this for the remainder of the entries. And when I say otherwise noted, like I already told you, like previous to this, I'd never finished a game. I may have finished a game. If I did, maybe it was cheats. I You'll find out. But the, anyway, all that being said, Fester's Quest was a run-and-gun Sunsoft game based on the 1960s TV series The Addams Family and was released in North America in 1989 and in 1990 in Europe. It takes place in three overhead areas, utilizing the same overhead shooting engine seen in Blaster Master, by the way. Uh, and those are the streets, the sewers, and the UFO platform. Oh, and six buildings where the hallways are viewed from a 3D perspective. Along the way, Fester encounters other members of the Adams family. And seven houses, plus the Adams mansion via a secret path through the trees behind the mansion. Thing, three times, Wednesday... Gomez, Morticia, Grandmama, and Pugsley, all of whom help him by giving him different weapons and items. Use of one particular item, the noose, will summon Lurch to destroy all enemies on the screen. Fester must travel through the city sewers to reach areas that are otherwise inaccessible due to above-ground obstacles. He may enter certain buildings, which transform the game from its standard overhead view into a 3D mode of play, kind of akin to a dungeon crawl. Five of these buildings, each house an enormous alien boss character, which upon defeating will supply Fester with a puzzle piece and a picture of the alien's UFO and refill all of his items. After defeating a boss, Fester will leave the building and be unable to backtrack through it to previously visited areas. Once all five bosses are defeated, Fester must board the UFO and defeat one last boss in order to stave off the invasion. However, I wouldn't know anything about what I just said because <laughs> in my case, I never got that far. <laughs> One of the biggest gripes I have is the shooting mechanic. For whatever goddamn reason, bullets hitting enemies fucking sucks. And the slowdown in this game doesn't help that matter at all. The controls feel unresponsive and the game feels wholly unbalanced. This game is so bad I forgot it ever existed until I had to write a list for this episode. <laughs> it did some major damage to me back then to make me forget about it so easily. You want to talk about respawning enemies from Mega Man? I mean, you kind of have to make them respawn, depending upon which way you're moving, but they fucking respawn here for seemingly no fucking reason whatsoever. And in order to get through some rather precarious situations, you're sitting there mashing buttons to defend yourself like you're putting your controller through a QC test. Those 3D first-person modes feel fucking weird, and the puzzles are awkward. Like, just bizarrely awkward. Overall, it isn't an unfair game on purpose, 
It truly is the game design that makes it unfair. And that just makes this a piece of shit game. Fester's Quest number five today. Just remember, just remember if you ever want to fight me on anything, email me. PotationRotation at gmail.com. Moving right along. The Adventures of Bayou Billy. So back in an era where Konami was pumping out great NES titles and could seemingly do no wrong, along comes this fucking piece of shit. The Adventures of Bayou Billy is an action game released by Konami for the Nintendo Entertainment System in Japan in August 1988 as a game called Mad City, and then as Bayou Billy in North America in June 1989 and Europe in January 1991. Wow, those really are quite the release spreads, if I do say so myself. So the revision of the 88 Famicom Mad City game saw modified graphical changes and an increase in the game's difficulty level. Go figure, they would increase a difficulty level from a Japanese game when they make it into an American game. Like, they increased it. Anyway, uh, the game employs various playstyles that were popular at the time, such as beat-em-ups, shooting guns, and racing things. <laughs> the majority of the game follows a beat-em-up format in which the player character, Billy... Oh, Billy! ...must engage in hand-to-hand -hand combat against every enemy he encounters in order... I could have just... I should have really just put in a... I'm not a very good Jim Carrey impersonator. I should have just put a clip in there. Uh, anyway, what was I? Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, he must engage in hand-to-hand. He must engage in hand-to-hand -hand combat against every enemy he encounters in order to proceed from one area to the next until reaching the end of each stage before his health runs out. Billy's basic attacks consist of a punch, a kick, and a jump kick performed by pressing the A and B buttons at the same time. And the player can also arm Billy with one of three melee weapons dropped by certain enemies. Those would be a throwing knife, a club, and a whip. If the player picks up a new weapon while Billy is still in possession of a previous one, the new weapon will overwrite this uh, weapon that he had previously. Uh, Billy can also pick up guns, which the player can draw or withdraw at any time by pressing the select button. Uh, and by the way, when Billy is using a gun, uh, the number next to the bullet indicator is, on the top portion of the screen will start flashing. Um, other power-ups in these stages include a chicken drumstick that refills Billy's health and a body armor that protects Billy from enemy bullets and reduces the damage he takes from other attacks. While the majority of the enemies in the beat-em-up stages are human bad guys, the player will occasionally fight animals as well as crocodiles and eagles and guard dogs and shit like that. Uh, in the second stage, the game adopts a rail-shooting format viewed from a first-person perspective that can be played with a standard controller or the NS Zapper, depending upon you know the mode chosen by the player before you start the game, you, you get that choice. In my case, I was playing the semi-modded arcade cabinet, 
uh, with the regular controls, and so those were my weapons of choice, so to speak. Here, uh, as you're shooting shit, um, you have to shoot as many gunmen as possible, and then destroy the boss at the end of the stage without running out of health or ammo. Certain enemies will drop additional ammo and health kits, as well as other power-ups, such as an hourglass that gives Billy unlimited ammo for a limited period of time, a bulletproof vest that leaves him invulnerable for a while as well, and a star that destroys all present enemies. I don't know how well this works with the zapper, or any gun peripheral nowadays for that matter, but using standard controls here are... well, they fucking sucked. Um, I can't recall using a zapper for this game 33 years ago either. This is another game I kind of... I kind of blocked this entire game out like I did with Fester's Quest. Um, with the exception of the voiceover on the title screen, I think you all know. I think you all know what that is. The Adventures of Bioboy! <sighs> Throughout all these decades, when I see or hear anything about this game... I hear that fucking voice and I shudder and cringe. The Adventures of Bio Billy. Anyway, back to the gameplay. Um, in stage four, the player must drive Billy's Jeep through the freeway and the grasslands to the suburbs before time runs out. Uh, the player steers and accelerates the Jeep with the D-pad, while the A and B buttons are used to launch grenades at airborne enemies, vehicles, and uh, shoot at other cars in front of Billy's Jeep as well. And fuck the stage, because the player uh, doesn't get a health gauge. And as a result, a single collision with an enemy or vehicle or a bomb explosion, whatever, any other road hazard, uh, it's insta-kill. And insta-kill means you'll lose a life. And you, you lose a life and you lose many lives. Game over. Um, the, the player can pick up gasoline cans along the way to extend the time limit. Uh, but I don't know much more about that because I fucking rage quit here. Uh, I never made it past stage four. I will give it the game a single positive up to this point, which this point would be stage four. <laughs> uh, it seems to have variety. Uh, I'll give it that. It appears through my research as well that this variety continues throughout the game, which is kind of nice. It's kind of refreshing. Uh, but unlike Punch-Out, that will make you suffer through repetition... Bayou Billy makes you suffer through variety, <laughs> which actually makes it feel extremely unfair to play, to be honest. The side-scrolling levels still aren't as bad as, say, Battletones, uh, but fuck the driving level, or levels if there's more. Like I said, I, I only did the one. Uh, so if there's more, I think there is at least one more. Uh, fuck them. Uh, I think I would have enjoyed the pain a little more and made my way through it if there was at least some fucking health in stage four instead of the insta-death that I faced. Um, this game makes games like Castlevania and Ninja Gaiden seem like fucking cakewalks. Uh, so fuck Bayou Billy and fuck the four spot that he drives his Jeep into today. The Adventures of Bayou Billy Battletoads Fucking devil, yeah. I'm not I'm not going here. Um, can I use two cheat codes in one episode? I, I didn't want to, 
but I'm going to have to. Uh, again, spoke about this one here and also at length on the Make Quest podcast. If you got a couple hours, <laughs> yeah, hear that right, a couple hours, I would like to refer you to episode 14 of MQP and hear all the rage there. Uh, but don't go now. I already sent you away once. Just go later. Since you already left me the one time today, Todd, get the fuck back over here. I will tell you that no, I never finished Battletoads. And fuck it, if you think I was going to play it again 15 months after the last time I did for Main Quest, no fucking way. Uh, I knew this was going to be in my top five going in, and that was all that was going to matter. I just didn't know where it was going to land. But after playing the next entry for the first time ever, it was a no-brainer. Battletoads is number three on my list. Two. Silver Surfer. Upon the Marvel Comics character of the same name, Silver Surfer is a scrolling shoot 'em up video game developed by Software Creations and published by Arcadia Systems. The game was released in November 1990 in the US exclusively for the NES. And what looked like it could be a fun going into was a fucking disaster. And, <laughs> and if you want a real time review of the game, uh, you can go to our Lacerda Gaming YouTube channel where I decided to play this game uh, for you. In a little crossover event for today's episode. Yeah, that, that, that gameplay aired last week, Thursday, uh, February the 17th. So you can go watch my pain captured on film for the rest of time, or, you know, until something catastrophic occurs to YouTube content. In Silver Surfer, the player controls the character through various levels that alternate between a side-scrolling and an overhead perspective. Each stage is divided into sections, and at the end of each section, a mini-boss appears, and the Silver Surfer must shoot the main enemy, while many other enemies attack as well. But I wouldn't know, because I never made it that far in any of these fucking levels to reach a fucking mini-boss. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> these, are, these are the only times where the screen stops scrolling forward. The third and final section contains a supervillain from the comic book series who will take more hits to defeat. The villains featured in the game are Reptile, Mephisto, Possessor, Firelord, and Kylor, the self-proclaimed Emperor of the Skrull, or if you watch me play it on Lacerda Gaming on YouTube, I have other thoughts for who those characters are. You'll just have to go see it for yourself. After the first set of the levels are complete, Galactus appears and sends Silver Surfer in a final mission into the Magic Domain to collect a cosmic device from a villain whose identity is less than clear uh, despite previous claims the final boss is actually a giant purple being with a handgun that does not appear to have been from the comics although his image near the boss's health bar suggests that the main antagonist is X-Men villain Mr. Sinister once Silver Surfer defeats him which makes sense I mean you've got five main bad guys over five main levels, and then Mr. Sinister? That makes six. Do the math. 
Uh, anyway, once Silver Surfer defeats Mr. Sinister, or whoever he may be, the rest of the cosmic device is his, and he tells Galactus that no one must have access to it and hides it for safekeeping so it may not fall into the wrong hands. That's nice. It must be super fucking nice to beat this game legitimately. <sighs> the game does, however, have a password feature that I did not utilize because I don't give a shit that allows a number of upgrades such as invincibility. The game has cutscenes between the levels to move the storyline ahead and allows the player to pick the levels in any order, similar to Mega Man. The game also features two additional quests, the first which is unlocked by entering a password given to the player upon completing the Magic Domain mission. Silver Surfer is armed with silver pellets that shoot out of his hands to destroy enemies and their projectiles. The player can collect silver spheres that serve as options, which shoot additional pellets alongside the Silver Surfer. By pressing the B button, the spheres switch position and shoot forward, sideways, or backwards, while the Silver Surfer continues to fire forward. There are two other kinds of power-ups. Collecting squares with an F, which stands for fuck, can make shots gradually stronger to make the shots look like fire pellets. Oh, it's probably fire. It should be fuck. Uh, up to five can be collected before they give bonus points instead. Uh, and collecting squares with a B, which is bitch, will stock clearing bombs. Well, shit. Okay, it's for bombs. Uh, anyway, so those, uh, those, those clearing bombs, uh, they'll clear an entire level, and you can do that by pressing the select button. Every life starts with one of these in stock, which I was not fucking aware of, by the way. When a life is lost, all spheres, firepower, and extra bombs are lost and must be re-obtained, as is pretty standard with shmups. And if you do watch that Let's Play footage on the YouTube channel, Let's Start a Gaming on YouTube, uh, you'll find that the reptile stage, the one with water at the bottom, is the one I lasted the longest on thanks to finding some sweet spots to stick with. But yeah, even, even that wasn't enough to even have me make it to the mini-boss. All the other levels, I lasted maybe a mere minute before taking a pass on them. I'm sorry I ever attempted to play this sorry, sad excuse for a video game. I mean, yeah, these types of games, shmups, are, they're, they're noted for being a little difficult. But, like, seriously, when a game has poor design and shit controls, that level of difficulty became insane asylum level maddening. Some of the levels are like death mazes trying to navigate through like a bullet hell where the slightest error in movement means instant death. And by error, I mean the shit hit detection of a static element coming within like an inch of it. Forget actually touching it. You're, you're within an inch of it. it. It kills you. And that bad design makes it almost impossible to reasonably guess what a projectile is and what it isn't or what it's a part of is it a part of the static environment like it's it's ugh, i want to use the r word so bad <laughs> but if there was a game made by people who were paid to not give a fuck this is that game uh, sorry not sorry i plan on going back in and beating this with cheats just so that i can give a middle finger to the game well i mean yeah it may not be like a solid fuck you I can really stand behind triumphantly, but it's a salute nonetheless. <laughs> so I'm good with that, folks. I'm good. Silver Surfer, it takes a huge stinky number two today.
All right, here we are at the top of the list. And surprisingly, um, this is one that I never spoke of. I never, never spoke of it. Um, and it's not one that I play very regularly because I fucking hate it. It's one ghosts and goblins. and Goblins, known as Makimura in Japan, is a side-scrolling platform game developed by Capcom and released for the OG Nintendo in Japan in June 1986, the NA region in November of 86, and the EU three years later in 89. It is a port of the arcade game that was released in 1985. The game is spread over six levels, each of which must be completed within three minutes, or a life is lost, <laughs> taking in forest, village, mountain, and cavern settings with increasing difficulty. Arthur, the brave knight, must rescue his beloved princess from the demon king Astaroth, and his forces amongst them are the various undead ghosts and zombies and bats and ogres and goblins. Oh my! Other challenges include moving platforms, ladders, and water and or fire hazards. The player can walk left and right and jump, and is also equipped with a lance to use as a weapon. Getting hit by enemies causes Arthur to lose his armor and run around in his underpants. Getting hit again will then cause the player to lose a life. As in most games in this genre, the player can pick up power-ups such as daggers and bombs during the course of the game, giving the player greater firepower. This is one of those games that it, it's so hard it's actually good. Uh, because it is the epitome of what is difficult, but fair. That doesn't mean I ever took the time to beat this all nice and clean like. Nope. Cheats all the way on this one. Why? Because I hate respawning enemies placed in some of the worst possible positions ever in gaming. Sometimes acting like bosses themselves, impeding my progress. And like, seriously, let's not get into the fucking Red Devil, which... By the way, I recommend using the flame weapon against that fucking asshole. Uh, so if you know that it's coming and you can get that, that flame thing, like, by all means, hold on to it. Aside from that, the best weapon overall is to stick with uh, the knife. I, I find it a balanced weapon. And then you'll need that cross shield thing for the final boss, if you can even get there without something like an infinite health cheat <laughs> because because you get two hits before you're dead and you'll die a lot and like i said it's it's not an unfair game but it can feel cheap at times and that drives up the frustration levels this definitely isn't a joy to play for any child and i don't know anyone around my age at the time which what was i like nine by the way back then who truly enjoyed this game like nobody did uh, it was definitely for adults who can handle their anxiety like a toothless hooker handling a cock. Uh, even with 
infinite health enabled? Did I want to go back and start the game over for the true ending that has become a 35-year-old retro gaming meme? Uh, yeah, yeah. I never, I never seen the, the the following with my own two eyes. Congratulation! The story is happy end. Thank you. Being the wise and courageous knight that you are, you feel strength willing. Return to starting point. Challenge again. Not even worth it. Uh, even though I, I ripped on some of the prior titles, even worse than this one, this has been, uh, f for the last 35 years and will always be in my mind, the single most hardest NES game of all time. Uh, also, because others have etched that into my brain as well, when I ask them, what what's the hardest NES game that you've ever played? Um, it's almost by far and away always this fucking game. Until enough people tell me it's Silver Surfer, <laughs> Ghosts and Goblins will be number one until the day I die in, in just my underwear. So that's it. My top seven hardest NES games of all time. Pretty much fuck all those games. Fuck all those games on that list. Uh, I, I There's no time soon that I ever plan on replaying any of them, with the exception of Silver Surfer. I'm going to look up those cheats and I'm going to play that thing and beat it and, and give the game a big fuck you. And speaking of cheats, let's get into Potorota Players Pro Tip of the Day. Oh, yeah. So what is the Potorota Players Pro Tip of the Day? Well, it's depends upon what kind of definition you use for pro tip. It could be a legitimate tip for a game. Or it's probably a shit tip, like literally the number one definition in Urban Dictionary of what a pro tip is. Or it could be something in between. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll find out. But uh, yeah, uh, considering the games uh, featured in today's episode, I, I'm just, uh, I'll, I'll be legitimate. Uh, so out of this entire list, the one game even close to being somewhat remotely fun to play is, is Mega Man. With that, you'll get some legitimate tips uh, out of it for me today. Uh, no, no clicks about it. That's that's a reference to a previous episode. First, use this boss order: Bomb Man, Guts Man, Cut Man, Elect Man, Ice Man, and Fire Man. Then, in Doctor Wily's Fortress, use the Thunder Beam on both the Rock Monster. And the Mega Man clone. Have you, are you writing this shit down? Rewind it. Pause it. Sharpen your pencil. Grab your, your pink memo pad. Write this shit down. Use the super arm in the Mega Buster on the bubble machine. And finally, with Dr. Wily, use Firestorm on form number one. And the Thunder Beam on form number two. And... Yeah. So that's my tip. Oh, and if you really want to, if you're still having issues with bosses, you can look up the pause cheat. You're welcome. So that's going to do it for another episode of the Retro Rankings Podcast brought to you by Potation Rotation. Again, if you want to email us about anything you heard today or have an episode suggestion, please email potationrotation at gmail.com. I could use episode suggestions for the DLC episodes. The next episode as of every 10th episode, 
is going to be a DLC episode. Now, those were supposed to be just random, I'm just going to talk type episodes, like get to know me a little bit better. But that's kind of what the Good for Nothing podcast and the PMG project, which is kind of, uh, it's not really on a pause. It's just too cold to go out and fucking film stuff. But those are what the PMG project and the Good for Nothing podcast have kind of taken over being. So I could use a little bit of episode ideas for the DLC episodes. And I'm going to incorporate uh, every other 10th episode to music episodes. It's been a while since I've done a music episode. So basically, you're going to get four lists, a music episode, four lists, DLC pack. Okay. So, immediately, ideas. Or even ideas for music episodes if you want to. Again, potationrotation at gmail.com. Visit us at potationrotation.com for our social media links to Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. The merch shop is there as well. And of course, links to our gaming reviews and vlog channels on YouTube. Please don't forget to leave a rating for us as well. It would mean a lot. We appreciate you listening. And again, I'm Paul. I'll see you guys next time. Bye.